This is lesson number nine, what is the heart? And we are on the subject now of faith and the heart. We've looked at a lot of things now, this beginning the, the third month in these lessons. And so we are understanding that our heart is the manifestation of the operation of our soul. So if we can control our soul, which we can, then we can control our heart. And this is going to be very critical because over the course of this lesson, we're going to see that our heart is the power source of our faith. And if you can't control your soul, you can't control your faith. But if you can and will control your soul, you can and will control your faith. When the disciples say, oh, Lord, give us faith, he just said, let it start small. If we ask the Lord, give us faith, these are the lessons that will show us how to get faith. So we're going to look at a lot of things. This lesson will aim to prove several points about faith in relation to the heart. Here are a couple points. The concept and rules of faith traverse biblical dispensations. It has kind of been a misteaching, a misunderstanding that at the cross, faith changed. And uh, we got to debunk that because who's the father of our faith? Abraham. Was he ever born again? Never. Not in his lifetime. Who knows what happens at the cross and the resurrection when he ascends on high and leads captivity captive. Were they born again then? I believe they were. But the father of our faith was called the father of our faith before he was ever born again in his spirit. And he operated by faith. And he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The heart of man and the spirit of man are two different entities. We've been proving that over and over and over again. That is also a word of faith error to believe the two are the same. If you believe the heart and the spirit are the same, you're going to run into very... Uh, a great deal of many biblical errors. You're going to have a lot of contradiction. Faith is of the heart, not the human spirit. This is very critical. Faith is of the heart, not the human spirit. We'll debunk some of that, but the real simple answer is, if faith is of the born-again human spirit, we should all have equal faith because we're all born again in our human spirit. We're all seated in heavenly places, but we're not all equal in faith. Some of us are struggling to get healing. Some of us are struggling to get forgiveness. Some of us are struggling to get a breakthrough in money. Some of us don't even have the faith to witness to a stranger. But if faith was of the Spirit, we're all seated in heavenly places and equal in Christ. We should all be equal in all things of faith. And we're just not. We're at different levels. Because they have a heart, pagans can operate in faith. How do they get born again? You're saved by grace through faith. How does a pagan get born again if they can't operate in faith? Because the heart is adjusted by what we hear and think, we can easily adjust our faith by watching what we hear and think. This is all summarized by Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing. And there's even some debates now on what that means. It's real simple. I looked at it in every translation. It's going to be super deep, Steve-O. It means... Faith comes by hearing. The argument that I have encountered is that faith doesn't literally come by hearing. And so now we're arguing semantics. Their argument is faith was already present. It was just developed, or we would, we would say it was steered in the right direction by what we heard. Because everybody has a measure of faith. All of mankind has a measure of faith. All of mankind operates in faith. The Buddhist has faith in Buddha. The Muslim has faith in Allah. They all have faith. But faith in Christ comes by hearing the gospel. 
So there is an argument, a semantical argument that I want to say, what is the point? Why are we arguing over this? You're trying to make a mountain out of nothing that you might have a corner market on a new revelation. What? I don't get it. But I looked at it in every translation, like 25 of them, and looked into the Greek and delved really deep into it because I was having a discussion with a dear friend of mine on this. And I said, no, every translator translates it the same way. In every modern translation, faith comes by hearing because what you hear affects what you think, what you want, and what you emote. It's pretty simple. We're, we're trying to make something deeper than it needs to be. The mechanics of faith have not changed since the Garden of Eden. And let that settle on you. The mechanics of faith were established. They didn't evolve when Noah came on the scene. They didn't change when Abraham came on the scene. They didn't change when Moses went up on the mount. The mechanics of faith didn't change at the cross. Faith is faith is faith. And that's why we can study the Old Testament to understand concepts of faith. In its exhortation to live by faith, Hebrews 11, the famous hall of faith, provides a list of 22 faith heroes, beginning with the elders and concluding with others, and what they accomplished by faith. From the elders and Abel to David, Samuel, the prophets, and many unnamed believers, they all pleased God by faith. 30 different actions are listed in chapter 11, all done by faith, all pleasing to God, all performed by men and women who were not even born again. And that's in the New Testament. So the author of Hebrews points to over 22 faith heroes who were not born again in their spirit. They were not baptized in the Holy Ghost. They did not speak with other tongues. They were not seated in heavenly places. But they all did something by faith that pleased God. Over 30 different feats of faith. And this demonstrates to us the mechanics of faith don't change. Amen. These all operated in faith without being a new creature in Christ. And this is important because it further reveals that faith is not of the born-again human spirit. Now that was a, an error that the word of faith fathers taught us in trying to crack this code. We don't diminish what they accomplished. All pioneers only take humanity so far and then their time expires and we come and we build upon their foundation. So this was something they were trying to see, but they couldn't quite get it. But what they did give us is a tremendous foundation that we stand upon today. But Hebrews 11 is so critical because it further proves faith is not of the born again human spirit. And that's important because it means it's our responsibility to do something with our faith. We have to develop it. It is a muscle. It already exists. I guess the argument with faith doesn't come by hearing. It already exists. It's like saying muscles don't come by working out. Technically, you already have muscles. You go work out and you make them bigger. We all have the same muscles in here. You know, men and women are a little bit different. But we all have different shapes of muscles based on how much we lift with them. Every man in here has the potential to look like Schwarzenegger at Mr. Universe. It doesn't mean you'll ever get there. He said once he was very prepared to be governor because he was once Mr. Universe, and technically that meant he was in charge of the whole universe. It's a joke. He never said that, but I think it's funny. Faith is of the heart, for the Bible says, believe in thine heart. It does not say believe in your spirit. Faith is not of the born-again human spirit. Faith is not of the born-again human spirit. We're going to keep saying that. Because if we think it's of the born-again human spirit, we have to be able to explain why we all have different levels of faith. 
We've been saying also through all this teaching that the heart and the spirit are different. So let me say it again. The heart and the spirit are two different entities. Because if it were not so, as we've proven multiple <laughs> curriculum, how could you be born again in your spirit and have an evil heart of unbelief? Evil heart of unbelief. There in Hebrews 3 tells us unbelief is in the heart and it makes your heart evil, though you can be born again in your spirit. Faith is of the heart, for the Bible says, believe in thy heart, and with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. It doesn't say with the spirit, man believes unto righteousness. All right, so we've established this over and over and over again. But with this lesson, we want to begin to advance our topic and, and show us that, based on all the other eight lessons we've studied thoroughly, if our heart is what we think and keep thinking, want and keep wanting, emote and keep emoting, by changing what we think, want, and emote, we can enlarge our heart to operate in a greater capacity of faith. I love good preaching, but I'm a teacher, so I like the mechanics of stuff. Don't tell me to hit harder. Tell me where to hit so that every blow counts. Because you can be John Henry, the pile-driving man, the steel-driving man, but what if you're pile-driving and steel-driving in the wrong place? I want to work hard but I want to work hard in the right place. So if we can teach you the mechanics of faith, then we ought to really, really be able to come along quickly. All right? So believeth, out of Romans 10, 9 and 10, is our Greek word pistio, which we, if you know Greek or you're a Bible student, you'll recognize the root word there is pistis, which is faith or trust or hope or uh, uh, confidence. And it's interesting to look in a big lexicon because uh, pistio means to believe, to have faith in, to trust to be convinced of, which means you were talked into it. To have confidence in, which means you learned to trust it. These aren't instant impartations. These are things that are developed. To be convinced of is something that is a development of soul. To put confidence in something takes a development of soul. When you meet somebody... Wisdom tells you don't trust them because you don't know them, but you begin to be confident and put your trust in the new friendship, the new relationship. You learn to trust your new government. You learn to trust your new boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, etc., your boss, but that isn't there the moment you meet. It is developed, and it's a development of your soul. You watch, you observe, you hear, you understand, you prove them, you see them come through, and your heart begins to set the totality of the emotions, the totality of the soul, the intellect, the will upon them, and that is collectively called trust. Because when, when I think about my marriage and I think about my trust in my wife, if my mind thinks about her having an affair, my emotions are like, get over it. Seriously? There's no fear there. If my mind says, I want to, I want to cheat on her, Shut up. What are you thinking about? The trust and the faith in our covenant just wipes out any issues because there's so much faith in my wife, and my wife has faith in me. She, I appreciate my wife. She is not insecure. She says, honey, I know you'll never cheat on me because you love God too much. So her confidence in me is really based on my walk with my God, but she didn't know what my walk was, with God was like the first time she met me. She's, but she watched me the three years we dated and courted on and off. And then uh, through our marriage, she just knows how I walk with God. And so there's no fear. But that wasn't there the first time we met each other at the Assemblies of God Church. We don't know each other. Same thing with a faith in God. With this word, quote, is the Jewish idea that faith is intellectual acknowledgement of the truth. 
resulting in obedience to the truth. Faith is understood to be man's amen to the word of God and its demands. And this is taken from the complete Bible lexicon, the complete Bible library. I like this, this deep theological dive that in the Greek concept of faith is the Jewish idea that faith is intellectual acknowledgement of the truth, which means you have to involve your mind. Now, you don't lean to your own understanding, but you're also not an idiot. So there is an intellectual element to faith. You have to be able to grasp the concept. You have to be able to understand with your mind what God is saying and what that means. And so uh, we do trust by faith, but God has given us a brain, a reasonable brain, to operate with reason and to look at things. But that fits our definition, that your heart is what you think and keep on thinking. So if you'll put the Word of God into what you think and keep on thinking, and as the Bible teaches us, write a book of remembrance, and you document all the times God ever came through for you, and you recite them back to God, and you remind yourself of them, and you put yourself in remembrance, you'll, be, you'll be, begin to build your faith to where your heart says, God came through here, God came through here, God came through here, God came through here, God delivered here, God healed us of this, God healed us of that, God came. What's this next thing? It's the exercise of David. I killed lions, I killed bears, who are you? You're nothing. You don't have the teeth or the claws of lions and bears. And you're a lot bigger than both, so how can I hardly miss you? All I need to do is knock you down and you're a dead man. Because if I get on you, I'm taking that sword, I'm cutting your head off. Most of us, let me just throw this out there, we believe in faith to knock Goliath down, but we never finish the job. David did not kill Goliath with a sling and a stone. He killed Goliath with his own sword. The sling and the stone knocked Goliath down, rendered him unconscious, but even when the concussion wears off, he gets up mad. We're really good at knocking Goliath down and then walking off thinking we got the victory, and he gets up mad and eats our lunch. So you just keep staying in prayer until the thing is totally resolved, instead of cheering that you threw a rock. <laughs> Amen. All right. These definitions comport nicely with our established understanding of the heart, specifically that there is an intellectual component to the heart. And boy, I can hear Brother Hagin rolling over in his grave over that statement. <laughs> but then again, I'm a scientist with an intellect, and I've been able to operate in faith since Brother Hagin discipled me through his books and his tapes. I never knew Brother Hagin. I was only ever in one meeting with him. And he actually turned the service over to Ken Hagin Jr., now, we drove all the way out to Tulsa, and Brother Hagin comes out and says, well, I'm not going to preach this morning. Ken will do the good job, so enjoy my son. And then walked off. I drove 15 hours to hear from the son. And it was a good message, but I was really excited to get to hear from Brother Hagin. There's an intellectual component to the, to the heart. That is, our heart is adjusted by whatever we think and keep on thinking. And if our heart is adjusted by what we think and keep on thinking, then our faith will be adjusted by what we think. I have a famous quote from Galileo Galilei. The heart cannot rejoice in what the mind cannot accept. Excellent quote. Very biblically accurate. The heart cannot rejoice in what the, man, the mind cannot accept. Even this great Christian scientist, astronomer, phys uh, physicist, and mathematician recognized the heart and the mind were connected. So other heart faith scriptures, let's build this, because some of us are still struggling with the fact that the heart and the spirit aren't the same thing, and that faith is of the heart, it is not of the spirit man. 
Numerous scriptures confirm that faith is of the heart and not the human spirit. This is a good thing because it means we can build our faith by adjusting what we think, want, and emote. And that is also why we submit to discipleship. That's also why we speak the word. We read scriptures out loud. We get around those who have like faith. They can build our faith. It's why we must get away from people who would suck our faith out of us and ridicule our faith and mock our faith and say, well, you know, God, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to the doctor. No, nothing wrong with the doctor, but I'm praying in tongues on the way to the doctor. I'm speaking life on the way to the doctor. I'm praying the doctor isn't stoned on his own medication on the way to the doctor. How many doctors get hooked on their own meds and still practice medicine? I'm practicing the doctor's not too busy flirting with the nurse he's having an affair with to see my kid. It takes more faith sometimes to go to the doctor. My mama was a pharmaceutical sales rep for 20 plus years. and She would call upon all sorts of hospitals in our state. And she one time told me, honey, don't ever go to that hospital if you need anything. I said, why, Mama? She said, I wouldn't even go there to die. Because she knew the corruption behind the scenes coming from the administration down. We put so much faith in doctors and medicine, and they mean a good work. But they're people too. They have their issues too. And all of mankind is rotting right now, including our physicians. We need to pray for them. Every Wednesday in this church, we pray for Cookville Regional and the emergency room and the administration because they need the anointing of God to save lives. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. So trust is the Hebrew beta or full reliance. It's a work of the heart. Here it is contrasted with a work of the mind, our understanding. This verse is a commandment, which means it is not automatic and is therefore our responsibility. Every day this verse is going to yell at you, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean to what your mind can comprehend completely. It's a commandment, which means it's our responsibility. If faith was of the Spirit, this commandment would be unnecessary. Because if it's seated in heavenly places and has all faith, you don't have to tell me don't doubt. It also means trusting God is not a positional truth, such as being seated in heavenly places in Christ or being a child of God. Faith is not a positional truth. It is a personal responsibility. Even Mark eleven twenty two 22 says, Have faith in not Buddha, not Allah, not science, not Mama. Have faith. It's a commandment. So if you have to be commanded to have faith in God, that means you can put it other places if you want to, which means you already possess it, but where you put it is your job. It's your responsibility. It's your stewardship. This is a commandment we can achieve and maintain by praying, studying the Bible, and obeying God. I would also add, and getting away from doubt, unbelief, and lackluster Christians. Don't run with people that will talk you into skipping church. Don't run with people that will woo you and tempt you into skipping church, that would mock your God, that would try to get you to come to a family reunion instead of church. Ask them, why don't you have the family reunion on Saturday? There's a Saturday, you know. Well, we just thought everybody... No, don't. That's your problem. You thought. There you go thinking again. <laughs> Obey the Bible. Learn to think better. Proverbs 31, 11, The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. This is where we mix it up, because this verse uses the same two Hebrew words, heart and trust. But here you trust in a woman. The Proverbs 31 woman has earned or had earned her husband's trust. His heart had learned to trust. 
These Hebrew words are identical to those in the previous proverb. Beta and leb, or lib. This demonstrates that faith is of the heart, not the human spirit. A spouse earns their partner's trust through communication, fellowship, and keeping their word. In time, the heart comes to safely rest in their reciprocated commitment to the union. But this is the Holy Ghost speaking through Proverbs 3 and the Holy Ghost speaking through Proverbs 31. And our hearts are trusting in our wife and our hearts are trusting in our God. And both took development. Just like you learn to trust in your wife because she has never failed you, you learn to trust in your God because he has never failed you. And both are in operation of the same soulish organ, the heart, the leb, and it manifests the same action, which is trust or beta, faith. Mark eleven twenty three, And shall not doubt in his born-again spirit man? Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, which means the believing points back to the heart. Before the resurrection, the Lord's foundational teaching on faith pointed to the heart as the source of faith as well as the source of doubt. If the heart and the spirit man were the same thing, and if faith was of the born-again spirit, it would be biblical impossible to doubt. It would be biblically impossible to doubt. If faith is of the spirit, it would be biblically impossible to doubt because you're born again in your spirit. And you can't sin in your spirit. But doubt is a sin. The Bible says whatsoever that's not of faith is sin. I think that's Romans 14. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So faith cannot be of the human spirit. It's of the heart. And out of the heart proceed murders and evil thoughts and wicked doings and fornications. It would be biblically impossible to doubt because the born-again spirit man is incorruptible and seated in heavenly places. We can build faith in our heart by praying, studying the Bible, obeying God, and let's add, and getting away from weird people. What's a weird person, Pastor? Anybody who wants God less than you. Anybody who has a mediocre walk with God. You can't afford to walk with them on their terms. You should have pagan friends, but you walk with them on your terms. And if they don't want to be around you, then you flee. Amen. If they talk you out of the house of God, they're not your friends. They're lukewarm, milquetoast pagans in sheep's clothing. What kind of Christian talks another Christian out of church? Carnal carnal, sensual ones. Come on, this is elementary Christianity. Some of you, you got parents or family. You know, if you loved us, you'd stay home from church because your mother-in-law is in town. No, 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 no. I'm not skipping church for mom-in-law. I'm going, that woman needs to be in the house of God. She needs saved. They use all that manipulation. If you love, now listen to me, you person that shares my DNA. If you love God, you'd come with me to the house. This stuff is so simple to me, but it kind of reveals where our faith really is. You know, your faith obeys words. So when you skip church, you're demonstrating you obey another person's words. All right. Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided, rebuked, and reprimanded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. <laughs> this is the first time they see Jesus, and he chews them out. He's been dead. They're brokenhearted. He shows up and scolds them. 
Where's your buddy Jesus now? The first post-resurrection dinner with Jesus Christ was more of a rebuke fest than a festival of joy. They were rebuked for their unbelief and hardness of heart. They had rejected the testimonies of first Mary Magdalene and then Cleopas. You've been given two more evangelists to tell you, He is risen! He is risen! He is risen! Faith comes by, and they rejected the hearing. So when you reject the preached word and Jesus shows up, he's not going to hug you. So listen to me clearly as we principalize that. When you reject the preached word that is your solution and your life falls apart, when Jesus Christ shows up, he's not hugging you, patting you on the head saying, now, now, my daughter, now, now, my son, it's going to be okay. He's going to show up and chew you out for rejecting the preached word. We got to overcome this Oprah Winfrey, sick culture of ours that says we always need a hug when we've destroyed our life. You don't need a hug. You need a swift kick in the seat for being incompetent. Don't do it again. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. She went and preached. Jesus appeared to Cleopas and the other on the road to Emmaus. They went and preached. And the the 11 disciples were like, I don't know. Is he going to come back from the dead? What, 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 What were we doing the last three and a half years? And Jesus shows up and chews them out. I'm sure it was real hard to swallow any of their food. I'm sure they lost their appetite. (laughs) Here the Bible reveals that a hardened heart fails to produce faith in God because faith is of the heart, not the human spirit. They would overcome this by praying, studying the law because no New Testament had been written. It wouldn't be for the next uh, 15 or 20 years until about 45 A.D. And they'd overcome their doubt and unbelief by obeying God. So let that settle on you just for a moment. Jesus Christ shows up and chews out his key disciples because they've rejected what they've heard. Except it was the same thing he'd been telling them for three and a half years. They didn't trust Mary Magdalene. I'm sure they discredited her. She's a woman. Remember, remember how she was when we found her? She was a whore. Why would the Lord appear to her? Cleopas, we don't even know who he is. He's just been the straggler. You see how quickly you can... You can diminish the voice speaking to you. It's carnality. They would have gladly believed a Roman soldier saying, he's dead and he's not coming back. But a former whore and a kind of nondescript pseudo-disciple that we only hear his name once. Yeah. Luke 24, 25. Then he said unto them, O fools. This is Cleopas he's talking to and his buddy who doesn't get named. He must have been the bigger fool. Oh, fools, this is Jesus. He's been walking with them on the road to Emmaus. Try to make a mystical experience out of that. Don't forget, you get rebuked halfway down the road. Oh, fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He's rebuking them because their faith is a little slow, which means they could have sped it up if they wanted to. You believe as quickly as you want to believe. If you can't, He's unjust in this rebuke. This is why he also would look at his disciples and say, how long will I be with you? You haven't got it yet? This, as I'm writing this lesson this week, and I'm looking at these lessons in this light, I think, Lord, have mercy on me, Chris, because I can believe faster if it really is important to me. Forgive me for dragging my feet. Forgive me for making excuses. Forgive me, Lord, for being emotional at times. Forgive me for getting my feelings hurt. Forgive me for just not dealing with the things I know to deal with. 
Lord, where should my, what speed should my faith be at by now? And here I am still moping along in granny gear. Because the Lord was just in this rebuke. He's not happy. And you know what? Cleopas and this other guy don't get offended and push him down and say, who are you to talk to us like that? I'm sure they dropped their head and said, you're right. What's wrong with us? The Lord rebuked Cleopas and his companion for the same reason he rebuked the 11, faith issues. Because faith is not of the human spirit, it's of the heart. And if it's of the heart, we control it. Because we control what we think, we control what we want, we control our emotions. We can control our emotions. And if you don't control your emotions, it's because you're out of control. These two disciples were growing in their faith, just not fast enough for Jesus. Think about that. But Lord, I'm growing. And the Lord says, not fast enough. Remember the rebuke in Corinthians? When I would come and speak unto you as adults, I cannot. I must come and talk to you as babes because you're yet carnal. So apparently the Holy Ghost expected the church at Corinth to be a lot more big boy and big girl than they were when that first epistle came to Corinth. And Paul rebuked him and called the whole church a bunch of babies and sissies. That's why it's the longest epistle. Two, the two are the longest epistles in the whole New Testament. Why? Because they're a bunch of babies. And babies, you've got to take your time again and 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 again. These two disciples were growing in their faith, just not fast enough for Jesus. I mean, we hear fool, but Jesus said, why are you guys idiots? Fool is the polite King James way of saying, you're morons, you're idiots, you're stupid. This is not a compliment. Do you not hear the Lord Jesus is calling them names, mocking where they're at in their growth? This is not a hug. There's no hug. There's only a rebuke. And they thought they were evangelizing Jesus. Have you not heard? Where have you been? Have you been a stranger in Judea all these times? How Jesus, a man anointed of God, was taken by our politicians and our priests and crucified. Where have you been? And Jesus looks at him and says, you guys are idiots. They could quote the facts about their rabbi the messianic promises, and even the recent political events that led to his crucifixion, but they were slow putting the big picture together. Jesus remedied this by expounding unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The additional intellectual knowledge caused their eyes to be opened, that is to say they could finally see it, and their hearts instantly believed. Acts 8:36, And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your human spirit, no, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Up until this point, he's a pagan, studying Isaiah the prophet. He's operating in faith, and his faith is being developed by what he's hearing. And Philip is expounding everything in the Old Testament, beginning with Isaiah, covering all the books of the Torah and the Pentateuch. And that intellectual addition, he understands, and it builds his faith. The Ethiopian eunuch's conversion experience provides us with the greatest insight into this doctrine. The man feared God and studied the prophets, presumably the law, yet he was not born again. He had, to, had yet to get saved. That means he was still dead to God spiritually. Yet, according to Philip's statement, if thou believest with all thine heart... 
he could still have a heart of faith capable of receiving eternal salvation. This also proves the heart and the spirit are not the same and that faith is of the heart, not the human spirit. The eunuch's faith was expanded by the expository teaching of the evangelist, which means evangelists are capable of teaching if they'll slow down and do something. Evangelists don't just have to butcher scriptures in a frothy, worked-up fervor. How's that evangelist going to pace in a chariot? You have to stand as you go along the road in this chariot and roll the scroll and talk. <laughs> they can control themselves. They just aren't taught to, I think. It was awakened. His faith was awakened to the salvation found in Christ alone. So let's look at some patterns that arise. In three of these passages above, teaching and instruction, that would be words being spoken, adjusted the hearts of the listeners. Each of the listeners had some foundation that had been built by the Word of God, but it was still incomplete. They needed the understanding that only additional teaching and instruction could bring. In this sense, faith came by hearing. Faith had an intellectual element because faith is of the heart and our heart is adjusted by what we think. Rebukes bring intellectual and emotional adjustments. If your boss ever yells at you over some kind of safety uh, violation, your intellect will say, all right, we don't need to do that. Physics could kill us. And your emotions say, oh, I don't want to be fired. And fear kicks in and your heart says, note to self, we're never doing that. We're never taking the scissor lift up to the highest point and jumping off to the rafters again. We could die or get fired, and you're instantly discipled. One rebuke from a man who pays your paycheck, and you're forever fixed in that arena. Were we talking about discipleship or your work? Can't one rebuke from your pastor or one rebuke from your God forever fix you? If you're open to it. Or you can be slow of faith. I'm growing, not fast enough. So we built... A little spreadsheet here. People, problem, solution, result. Eleven disciples, problem, unbelief, solution. Rebuke, result, conversion. People, Cleopas and friend, problem, solution, to believe. Solution, rebuke, and exposition. Result, conversion. Ethiopian eunuch, problem, misunderstanding. Solution, he didn't need a rebuke. He was eager. He needed teaching. Result, conversion. Faith, arose and it converted. When you have faith, you convert. If you don't convert, it's because you got no faith. When faith is built up, it's almost like the scales of justice. When faith is built up, conversion will happen. It'll kick over. The Lord rebuked both sets of gospel disciples after his resurrection for being either slow to believe or unbelieving and hard-hearted. I, I, I read this as I, I did write this, but I'm reading it now and I think this explains a lot of what's wrong in my church. Some in our church have not changed the whole time I've pastored. They're hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing, but nothing's changing. And yet, from what we're seeing, it's their choice to not change. Because faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. You can grow as fast as you want, or you can drag your feet and make excuses. But it really is amazing. As much as we teach, as much as we demonstrate the power of God, have great worship, have great systems and governments in place, some folks just don't change. If I am the problem, find a better pastor somewhere else. If you can't get your mind wrapped around a little old me, then you probably should leave. 
But the fact that new people come in here and grow like weeds, bear fruit for God, lets me know the vessel's not the problem. The soil being fertilized and watered on a regular basis, it just resists fertilization and water. If the disciples were not able to control their slow faith or their unbelief, then Jesus would have been unjust for rebuking them. His rebuke could have been classified as being grumpy or overly demanding. However, neither is the case. Jesus was demonstrating a holy and divine frustration and anger at his disciples. This means they were capable of more than they were accomplishing. Likewise, we can control the speed at which our heart believes. We may need to ask for mercy as the father of the lunatic boy did, saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The Lord's rebuke was not unjust. He was very justified in being frustrated with their slow progress, as any teacher can attest to, any professor can attest to, any boss can attest to. Faith is an attitude. The Bible says faith is a spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.13, we'll look at it here again in a minute. But what does that mean? One of the many definitions for spirit, which is the Greek word pneuma or the Hebrew word ruach, is mental disposition or constitution. It's one of the acceptable definitions. It's one of the ways it is translated in some uh, def, uh, translations of the Bible. Both words, pneuma and ruach, also mean wind, breath, spirit, Holy Spirit, demon spirit, and human spirit. It depends on contextual clues, what we're referring to. Today, we would call mental disposition attitude. Many verses refer to God stirring up the spirits of people. That would be God stirring up their attitudes. Faith is such an attitude. At its simplest form, faith is what our heart has to say about things. Faith can be considered man's amen to what God's word declares. When you hear preaching and your heart says, amen, that's faith. When you hear preaching and your heart says, I don't know about that, that's faith. And it manifests as an attitude. Attitude is just the aroma of your heart. You can have a, what we call in my house a grump turd attitude. You have a happy attitude. You have a joyful attitude. You can have a faith-filled attitude. You can have an expectation attitude, an attitude of zeal, an attitude that just loves. Everybody's defined by their attitude, even lust, which we say they have a spirit of lust. That's an attitude. It's, an, it's, a, it's a heart that says, I want to sleep with what I can. I want to sleep with what I can. They walk in and we can perceive that attitude on them. And we'd say that's a spirit of lust. That's a spirit of anger. That's a spirit of jealousy. It's an attitude. That attitude can become so strong, though, it will pull the spirit that it is like. Pick up a, a demon of lust, a demon of jealousy, a demon of hate. You can pick up the Holy Ghost. You can manifest the power of healing just by saying, I believe I receive. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. We have the same, let's insert the word attitude. We have the same attitude of faith. Unbelief is of the heart. Faith is of the heart. When faith is of the heart, it's an attitude that says, I believe, I receive. I am well able. This verse reveals the nature of faith. It is a spirit or attitude, a voice of our heart, which is called believing. And that results in speaking. When you believe in your heart, you'll be able to squeeze it and come out of, it'll come out of your mouth. But listen to your mouth and you'll see what's in your heart. I just can't do it. Nobody likes me. I won't ever make it. I'm never going to change. Nobody's going to help me. That's your faith. But we could see it on your face before you heard it with your mouth. Or I'm going to be different. I'm going to be changed. I've got the victory. I'm going over. 
things aren't going to stay the same. We could see that on your face before we heard it out of your mouth because it's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's the aroma that comes out of you. It's that voice that says, I'm well able. Get out of my way. Tear up that roof because I'm coming down. If I can't go around the mountain or through the mountain, I'm just going to go under the mountain. That may be harder, but I'll get it done anyway. I mean, you can just see it. It's an attitude on people. There's the defeated, mopey attitude, or there's this get out of my way, I'm coming through for God attitude. Amen. And it builds your heart. See, you're amening because your heart's like, yeah, yeah. And you can't help but it escape out of your mouth. Yeah. Amen. Or, I don't know, it's a little too bold for me. I know it is. For you, it is. But you can grow up if you want. Just don't be slow. This agrees with Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The attitude of faith is how belief manifests. The attitude of faith is how belief. What does it mean to believe? It adjusts your attitude. When you believe today's the last day of the semester, it's going to come out of your attitude. If you believe God's word is true, it's going to come out of your attitude. If you believe it's the end of the world, it's going to come out of your attitude. And it will produce a palpable heaviness. Years ago, we were down in Florida for a man trip, and the, the, the deep sea horizon had erupted, and oil was everywhere. And the whole of Destin was under this oppressive spirit because the oil slick, if you remember this from about 10 years ago, was moving towards Destin. And I, I was on the back porch of the condo one morning praying, and I just felt this heaviness, and it felt like the end of the world. It just felt like Jesus was coming back anytime soon. And I was praying, Lord, what is that? Are you coming back soon? That's how oppressive it was. And the Lord dealt with me and said, these people are fearful for their livelihood. And what I was picking up on was the collective hearts of the community when the oil slick was moving towards Destin because it was shutting down everything along the Gulf Coast and Destin was the next place. And we had gotten there just in time to go deep sea fishing and we prayed and I thought it was our prayers alone, but the thing never made it to Destin. It actually just absorbed into the ocean. But I felt the collective oppression, the voice of the hearts of the people of the Gulf Coast and it produced a palpable air that made me feel like the Lord was coming back because it was hopeless, a hopeless vibe in the air. The attitude of faith is how belief manifests, just as the attitude of resentment is how bitterness manifests. Faith in God manifests as confidence, boldness, joy, and confession. Bitterness manifests as grumpy, anger, and rudeness. Consider Caleb's testimony as an example of attitude affecting confession and behavior. But my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit, rewalk, attitude, my, my servant Caleb, he had a different attitude with him and hath followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall possess it. What was the different spirit, this different attitude that Moses spoke so highly of? That is revealed in the previous chapter, chapter 13, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we're well able to overcome it. His attitude was a can-do attitude, a let's-go-up-at-once attitude, and that's called the spirit of faith. This was an attitude of faith. It manifested in how he acted, and it manifested in what he said. Remember, the first thing faith says is, say not in your heart. 
If we can hear what we are saying in our hearts, I don't want to do this, I hate this, I don't believe that, I'm afraid she embarrasses me, he embarrasses me, etc., and adjust what we're saying in our heart to align with the Bible, then we can adjust our faith to please our God. Caleb's faith had been built by hearing the promises of God as proclaimed by Moses. Caleb actually trusted his preacher. And it benefited his grandchildren. His seed inherited the land. Of the 12 spies, only he and Joshua believed the report of the Lord. So that's less than 10% of my congregation is going to trust what I say. Two out of 12. I guess that's that's what six, 15%. So 15% of my congregation will trust me. That's the biblical statistic. So what about the other 85? What are you guys doing? I don't agree with that. Maybe we could say every, any given service, only 15% of the people trust what the preacher's saying. What are the other 85 doing? Spectating? Staying the same? Maybe that's why they're so slow. Their faith was built by hearing, but they weren't born again in their spirit. Real quick, Exodus 35, 21. And they came to the offering. This is the people of Israel. Everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whose spirit or attitude made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation and for his service, all his service, and for the holy garments. This verse demonstrates that the concept of stirred hearts and willing attitudes. A willing attitude can be connected to a stirred heart. Good preaching or propaganda can stir your heart into willing obedience. The news cycle for the last two years has all been about steering people's hearts. Good preaching or good propaganda can stir your heart into willing obedience, or we might say in terms of propaganda, willing compliance. The Israelites' stirred heart and willing attitudes were in response to Moses' offertory. He preached, we need an offering to build this tabernacle and make garments for the priests. And those that heard it, not all of them, But those that heard it, whose hearts were stirred and whose attitude made them willing, they brought the offering. But not everybody brought an offering because not everybody received the word preached. Not everybody chose to be in agreement with the word preached. And that should concern us. Their faith was built by hearing, but they weren't born again in their spirit. So they were operating strictly out of their heart. Faith comes by hearing. That is, faith can be built and developed by whatever we hear and keep hearing. But faith is a choice. If you get nothing else out of this lesson today, let that be it. You choose to believe what you choose to believe. I went through four years, four and a half years, because I was a semester late, four and a half years of geology being taught evolution. I could quote it all to you. It's even, ironically, the doctrine of evolution has evolved since I graduated college 20-something years ago, 25 years ago. I, I could quote it all to you. I could pass the test. I got A's in all my classes. Don't believe any of it. Because I don't choose to. I can see the science. I can tell you about radiometric dating. I can talk about the uh, fossil record, the Cambrian explosion. I can talk to you about that. Punctuated equilibrium, genetic mutations in the DNA. I can talk about that. Don't believe in any of it because I don't choose to. I choose to believe God made us. We were created. What's the explanation for everything else? I don't know. Don't care. Really just don't care. And I'm not a, I'm not a young earth guy either. And that causes other Christians' heads to pop. Other folks would call me a heretic because I believe in an old earth, but I don't believe in evolution. So sort it out on your own. 
Propaganda works. Actually, let me back up. We choose to believe what we hear and keep hearing. Propaganda works, but not on those who reject it. Indoctrination works, but not on those who reject the message. Faith in God's word can be developed by hearing, but not by those who choose to reject it. Faith is a choice. Romans 10, 16. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Not everybody chooses to believe the gospel. Hebrews 4, 2. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. The word they heard did not benefit them because they did not share the faith with those who obeyed. The word of God does not benefit everybody. It can. The word's not the problem. The heart of the listener is the problem. So I want you to hear me again. Faith is a choice. Faith can be sped up. Faith is totally controlled by what we hear because it affects how we think, how we emote, and how we want. So if you're having faith issues, you feed your faith by adjusting your heart and vice versa. You adjust your heart by feeding your faith. Eliminate all sources of doubt. Get around folks who have high faith. I told you years ago when I used to, we had a young man around here who I could scare easily. He was a disciple of mine. I would come up behind him and startle him because it was fun. I just grab him and go, ah, and we set up cameras so that we could record me scaring him because it was such fun. Pastor Okwoko was alive in those days, and I got into such a habit of scaring this young man named Kenny. Pastor Okwoko saw me scare him. Everybody laughed. It was kind of a church thing at the time. Pastor Okwoko got onto me bad, and he looked at me and said, why would you dare put fear in that young man? Fear is not of God. Why do you rejoice in scaring that boy? And I just dropped my head and said, yes, sir. You're right. You're right. And then he looked at Kenny and he said, and you, (laughs) why are you so fearful? He said, if you were to spend one week with me, you'd never be afraid of anything again the rest of your life. I believed it. I'm like, I'm not scared. I'm scared now, but I won't be scared. (laughs) I'm really scared now, but when you're done, I won't be scared anymore. That's all he said to Kenny. And as God is my witness, after that, you couldn't scare Ken anymore. I tried. I don't know why. I was tickling the dragon's tail. But I tried, and it wouldn't work. And it was all because Pastor Okwoko looked. He was a little man. looked up at Kenny and said, if you spent one week with me, you would never be afraid of anything again the rest of your life. Because he'd catch that faith. And Kenny did. Could never scare him again. Really kind of ruined my fun. May our hearts cry and attitude be, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let us choose to believe God's report. Amen.